Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Play. And another, another foul third for setting a screen. Because of physical play, although George Taylor just got caught for the moving screen. Kick and roll. And a foul. Offensive foul coming up there. Battle box hit it right there. So. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hello, everyone. This is Brendan Quinn of The Athletic here with Dylan Burkhart of UM Hoops. Dylan, say hello to the people. Happy holidays, and this is a special holiday edition of The Moving Screen. A very special holiday edition of The Moving Screen. Dylan and I on the road all day in Ann Arbor, in East Lansing, watched 95 combined points of victorious basketball uh, from the two Moving Screen teams. It's a big day. Got got a taste of your life. Yeah. Life on the road between two cities. Uh, basketball in the state. This is what the podcast is about. This is a, a noon game between Michigan and Presbyterian in Ann Arbor, followed by a 7 o'clock game in East Lansing between Michigan State and EMU. Uh, two pretty easy victories. Not a lot uh, to dive into from each game, but we kind of wanted to use this as a... Uh, as a chance to reset the season, kind of look back on the first half um, and get out on the road and bring this podcast to both sites. I, I think we were well-received here. You're courtside. Yeah. With the great, moving screen. Great placard. hospitality here awesome. in East Lansing. Awesome. This was good. Um, but more importantly, um, both teams are – Kind of wrapping up, I think, very interesting uh, first portions of their seasons. Um, we're going to touch on each game briefly and then kind of get into some bigger picture stuff, including um, some recruiting and roster stuff for Michigan, which is obviously uh, pressing and interesting. So um, we'll start with where our feet are, right? Be All where right. your feet are. We'll start in East Lansing. Um, Michigan State, easy win over EMU. Um, th- we thought this was going to be the better of the two games. Turned out they were both horrible. <laughs> it, was, it was not. Uh, I think EMU started one of 19 from the field. Something like that. Generally atrocious. Generally. Uh, not. A, I don't know that there's much to take from either game. No. In terms of the actual game. But I think you look at Michigan State and you say, 
fifty percent three point shooting. Exactly. That's a welcome sign after the last couple weeks. Really, it was a great shooting week for Michigan State altogether. All it takes is one shitty story from yours truly, and uh, boom. You start diving into the stats, boom. diving into the. Uh, I see some spreadsheet screenshots up there. I mean. All of a sudden, the shots go in, and he could have just wrote that. Yeah, I uh, wrote that their three-point shooting was on pace to be the worst ever in program history. They promptly went 9 for 21 against, uh, who was that? Northwestern. Northwestern, and then uh, 15 for 30 tonight. Um, more importantly, though, you know, without um, Rocket Watts, obviously still one more game. Um, I, I do see some things... Um, that are trending in the right way, maybe. Namely, uh, I thought Aaron Henry was a little bit better. He's great against tonight. Northwestern, and even a little bit better today. I didn't. The shoulders are getting a little higher. The chin is getting a little higher. Uh, starting to see some flickers of light in the eye. You know, what'd you see from him tonight? He looked great. Tonight. He looked really comfortable against the zone. I thought he made a lot of great passes, kind of right in the middle. Uh, I feel like Michigan State pretty much had that zone figured out, which helped him basically get to those spots, and he knew that he could kind of shot fake and make that next pass for a dunk or an open shot. Um, and then it just helps. His three-point shot hasn't always been consistent, but when it goes down, the rest of his game kind of seems to flow right from there. Yeah, I feel like this is the game that scouts imagine. I think this is the game that everyone kind of wants to see where it's, you know, you check every box in the box score. Um 12 points, 9, nine rebounds, assist six, seven, assists, 6 assists, 2 blocks all over the place, active, getting into the middle of the defense, kind of making plays. Um, they were able to do some stuff through him, yeah. which is a big step forward. Um, I thought Cassius, uh, his shot looked really good. Um, he showed great patience against the zone all night. Um, but you're right. There aren't, there aren't great... Great deal of like the big problem with a game like this is, yeah, it's great to see a unique defense and go against a two-three zone and prepare you for when you might see it later. But you're not going to see a team that really plays like Eastern Michigan anytime soon. So, what you can do against the zone sort of limited how much that's actually going to help you down the line, right? For sure, um, it's hard. I mean, I think the bigger thing was just making shots. It's just a team that needs to see the ball go down. And you, you got a lot of that um, down in Ann Arbor. Can we talk? I have a yes. Michigan State question. Yes. For you, or do you want to wait to get into bigger picture stuff? Is it pertaining to tonight? It's more big picture. We'll save it. We'll save it. We'll go into Presbyterian because there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Actually, not Make so much. Final note. Um, all right. So Michigan 186-44 against a pretty bad Presbyterian team. Um, big news of the day, Isaiah Livers. Um Muscle strain, missed the remainder of the game. There was no update offered afterward. Um, but, you know, it's one of those deals, if it's going to happen, this isn't exactly the worst time because you do get some break, yep. um, obviously with the holiday. But, you know, if... You do have two weeks until the next... Right. Until the Michigan-Michigan State game, right? You have yeah. one week off, and then you have another week after the UMass Lowell game. So... The timing, not necessarily terrible, but we don't know anything about the severity. It's anything or, significant, it's obviously yeah. huge. Uh, Michigan can't really, that's like, Michigan's not a deep team. Yeah. Cannot really afford any kind of significant injuries there. And he does so much. 
he kind of completes the offense, so to speak, right? I mean, you need him as a shot maker because without him, we saw Michigan go with a whole bunch of different looks that we really haven't seen all year. Yeah, do you think um, that was one of the other notable things of the day was, um, I I think, getting a look at kind of the two-big lineup with Colin Castleton playing alongside both John Teske and uh, Austin Davis, but then also um, extended run for Adrian Nunez for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it boils down to healthy bodies. Uh, Brandon Johns did not play because he was sick. Franz Wagner was under the weather, and they basically shut him down early in the second half. So someone had to play, and I find it interesting that they played Colin at the four. Basically all of Colin's minutes today were at the four, and he has not really played that spot, I think Juwan said, since the summer, basically. Uh it's a little bit frustrating because you probably wanted to see Colin get some time at the five where it's more likely that he'll make an impact on a healthy Michigan roster. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure that he looked solid. He did some good things at the four. He's still a little too slow when he's posting the ball up. He still does not really see the floor in those spots and he missed his one jump shot. I'm not sure he's going to take minutes away from Brandon Johns at that spot right now. Johns can just do so much more as a four-man right now. Especially when it's league play and it's Big Ten basketball and Big Ten front courts. Like, Colin, he has shown it, like, you can count it on one hand. He has shown it before, but it's on one hand. The ability to play through any degree of contact is still kind of far and few between or few and far between for him. Um, whereas Brandon can kind of, I feel like, use his athleticism to counteract that. Castleton still seems that if it's contact, he's kind of just thrown off of his play or whatever it might be. Yeah, and he just needs to go. He just yeah. he takes one or two or three just kind of slow dribbles whenever he catches the ball, and it's just he doesn't. It'd be one thing if he's drawing a double team and kicking it back out, but he just right. doesn't. He's just too much of a one-track mind when he catches the ball in those spots. And I don't know that he gives you the same amount of offensive rebounding Johns does. I don't know. I think you still probably like Johns' defense at that spot better. Uh, so I don't know. I, and Johns has a little – he can stretch the floor a little bit more. He's hit a couple threes this right. year. So Adrian Nunez getting playing time makes sense again with the lack of depth. He, I think he fouled out in 12 minutes, and that continues to be his issues on the defensive end of the court. Um, mm-hmm. He's not necessarily <laughs> shooting the ball all that well. He did hit, a, I think you tweeted, it was his most confident-looking shot he's taken. It was, year, that and it was. Step back. Pump fake, step back, and he hit it. I'm a little worried we're going to get caged in here. But I don't think we'll so. I don't think there's our, a gate on the front of this one. They are literally breaking down Breslin as we are doing this, but um, I think we're all right. So, um, yeah, were there any other – I mean, you obviously wrote off of today's game. Did, did, did you have any takeaways that we haven't touched on here? I think the big thing's health. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're looking at potentially three guys under the weather, hurt to some degree. Obviously, it's an okay time for that, but it speaks to just how shallow Michigan might be. It's good to get some of those guys minutes, but – Michigan needs Isaiah Livers playing 35 minutes a game if Michigan's going to be what it wants to be. No doubt. I mean, the only thing, like, you could put it this way. If you want to put a positive spin on it, it's, hey, if he's fine, well, at least you're getting extra minutes for guys. You're getting time. And, like, this is something I harped on a lot um, during Beeline's time was that when they would play these games, he would play his starters, even if if everyone was healthy. 
he would play guys crazy minutes early on because he was so paranoid about these whatever teams they were playing. And then you would, you know, catch an injury in February or something and have to play a guy in a spot where he was completely green and never had, like, hasn't even seen himself on film. Uh, John Bielan was not checking C.J. Barrett into the game at the under-16 no. of the second half. No, not at all. Um, it would have been, like, with the injuries, to, or with the guys out of the lineup today, it would have even been a tighter, like, all four, all five starters would have played, like, 33 minutes today. Yeah, we saw that last year, and that was a big <laughs> criticism last year, really yeah. throughout the non-conference season, I would say, because Michigan was undefeated and everything, but none of the freshmen right. were really getting any meaningful run. Yeah, and you would never say Michigan's deep, but you've seen all 10 or 11 dudes. Played everyone you today. Know, you know, you pretty much know what you can get from anyone at any given time right now, so um, there's something to be said for that. Um, let's get into the news of uh, the week. Um, Hunter Dickinson committing to Michigan yesterday. It had been trending that way for a while um when i say a while i mean like a long while but i think maybe duke when they got involved that probably got people a little uneasy just because it's happened previously where duke would swoop and suddenly a guy that michigan was well positioned for was poof gone um so you've been following this guy they started recruiting him right after losing to villanova in the national championship game which feels like it was six years ago, but it was only a year and a half ago. Um, but you've been watching this guy for a long time. Yeah, he kind of he wasn't necessarily the top priority under Beeline, I would say. Uh, he didn't his, get an offer under Beeline. He did not. He he hadn't visited either, which is one of those things where would he have, would he not have. Uh, he is very much an old school big man. He's seven foot two, right? Big body in the post. Uh, I think he's he led the EYBL in kind of post touches post up possessions last year and was very efficient i love how well he passes the ball out of those spots um he sees the whole floor in a way that we just talked about castleton not really right he he can see cutters he can see shooters from other spots and that's where he stands out uh the big 10 comparison is probably isaac haas uh a massive guy in the middle who you're gonna throw the ball into i'm not sure what Michigan's offense will look like next year without Xavier Simpson. Mm -hmm. For spots, you can run it through Hunter Dickinson in the post. He can do some of that playmaking from the post, draw a double team, kick it out. Uh, the issue is going to be, on the other end of the court, what he gives you and when. Um, he does not move necessarily that well. needs to work on his flexibility, uh, play lower, and that's going to be just... You can get away with some of that yeah. in high school. It's going to be tough in the Big Ten. Uh, we saw Michigan play against Isaac Haas over and over again. A team that plays five out is going to be really hard to guard mm -hmm. with a true giant big man in the middle, right? Uh, plays well into the drop coverage that Michigan has played this year, but there are going to be situations where he probably can't be on the floor in closing time based on shooting lineups, stuff like that. So I think the upside is that He's probably uniquely ready to contribute early because he's so big, so strong. He's going to turn 20 as a freshman, mm -hmm. so physically mature in that sense. The downside is that he needs to improve physically, and there's just kind of a limited ceiling to him at points because he kind of forces you to play one way, right? Like you can't play every way with him in the game probably. Mm -hmm. So 
a couple things to kind of build on what you said. First of all, when you say he's able to contribute right away, I think it's a really good thing for Michigan that he is a guy who not only can contribute right away, but is also almost definitely a three or four year player, right? Um, and it's because of defense and his, you know, needing to be um, more agile, quicker, probably some endurance stuff, things like that. One of the biggest attractions um, that they had to Michigan and that really weighed on the decision ultimately was they love John Sanderson and the, the, the program that he's kind of put a lot of guys through. So there's that. Um, and in terms of readiness, like I love guys who come out of programs like DeMatha. You know, it's a real high school, but it plays a powerhouse national schedule just the same way that some of these kind of more factory mm-hmm. places, you know, play. Um, it's a real school, but they play real ass basketball. Um, and, you know, I talked to Mike Jones, uh, the head coach at the math who's been there for 17 years. He replaced the guy who's in the freaking Naismith Hall of Fame. Like, if you go and look at the alumni for that school, it's insane. And talking to Mike, one of the things that really jumped out was how in the last two years at a program with a lot of high major D1 kids, um, they have played through him in the high post, in the low post. They've used his passing. Um, he's a guy who has seen double and triple teams, obviously, and still kind of found a way to make his game work. Mm-hmm. So high IQ and all those cliches, but um, more than anything, it's nothing will be too big for him next year, right? You see a lot of these guys who are like seven-footers, and when they play at their like local township school or whatever. Well, like, like Austin John, or John Teske. Teske he played at Medina, Davis. which is a big school, but it's a local school. He's playing against six, four kids as centers, right? Uh, Dickinson played 17U EIBL for really like, I think he played some as a sophomore, mm-hmm. but they won the Peach Jam yes. his junior year. And he played, he was starter on that team, right? Obviously, he's old for his grade, but he played on that team. He didn't, a lot of kids play 16U at that age, and he was playing. So he's very. considered one of like the best AAU teams in like recent memory, that team takeover. Yeah, and it's a great program. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has all the experience. And that, again, I don't think that necessarily impacts your long term upside. But it impacts how ready you are to right. maybe translate. He's right. played for good coaches. He's been around all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely, I completely agree. I also want to go back to what you said about how he's probably a multi-year player. That's really a recruiting inefficiency at this point. Uh, if you can get some of those guys, there's not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You don't find a lot of Hunter Dickinsons around. But the NBA is not clamoring for him either. So and a guy like Isaac Haas, he was a unique prospect one that Purdue had to go out and land mm-hmm. same with like Caleb Swanigan mm-hmm. but those guys aren't running off to the NBA because they're not necessarily coveted there right. so you find these guys and it's not like any school can just get them because you have to there's just not that many seven footers no doubt but you have them for a few years and you can really build around them in a way that mm-hmm. you can't do with maybe a 6'10 guy who shoots threes and does highlight dunks all the time right uh, those guys are going to be a lot more coveted in the league I would say right Right. And, like, I don't think that he's a guy that, like, he's not someone where I'd say, man, it's a real shame that he can't come in behind John Teske and spend a year banging with him in practice. Like, I think he's going to be walk in, get him out there. You know, he doesn't need to be a dude who sits and waits his turn 
Um, I'm not saying he's going to play 30 minutes a game next year, yeah. but I think he should play next year. I think that you would say over 15, but probably under 25. Right. right? Like I think there's a – I don't know how many minutes he can play at this level based on his current conditioning level, but I think that he will play minutes, especially on a team that is going to be replacing John Teske, who's playing the most minutes I think any center in the Big Ten is at this point. So now let's get um, a little bit kind of – deeper in the weeds on this thing and we were talking earlier tonight you know it's not a coincidence that um michigan is finding success with team takeover um it's not a success or it's not a coincidence that the program is finding success in the metro dc mid-atlantic area the dmv the dmv um if for those who don't know while isaiah todd yes plays in north carolina he is a Baltimore native. Um, obviously, Dickinson is coming out of uh, the D.C. area. His family is originally from the Buffalo area, um, but they have been in D.C., I think, basically since he's been alive. Um, and the next one that might be coming, that I think we both believe is coming, is Terrence Williams. Um, 6'8 kid. Staff loves him. He's another guy that they all think is multi-year kid and he thinks he's a multi-year kid that's something that has been told <laughs> to me is that he has said to them like that's, I'm, a, that's I'm, valuable i am coming to school to be a college basketball player that has been communicated to the staff and every coach is like falling out of their chair to hear that nowadays and you might say that's not surprising for a top 75 kid yeah. it still is surprising for a top 75 no kid. doubt uh he the thing that i think stands out about williams is if you watch his film or you watch Dickinson's film, you'll notice the other one. Uh, they play really well off each other. Uh, Williams is a just – I love how well he plays off the ball. Great mm-hmm. cutter. He can knock down shots. Good size to finish inside. And with a guy like Dickinson who you're playing through in the post like that, you really see just kind of the chemistry they have and they've played together on the same AU team and that seems to go a long way. And makes a lot of sense to pair them together, I would say. Yeah, and they're really close. They're they're boys. They've known each other for a very long time. Um, I you know, there's it's not a done deal until he commits, but he's gonna visit for the UMass Lowell game. Um that's December 29th. I don't think it's that far out of the equation that this thing gets wrapped up then and there. Mm-hmm. Um uh, this is not like I've not been told that this is happening. I just I think if you can read the tea leaves here, yes, the tea I mean, leaves I know are. Becky's visiting, but I you know I haven't been told that he's definitely committing when he's here. But I, I, I'll go ahead and roll those dice. The tea leaves are that he was committed to Georgetown, decommitted, and scheduled, and a visit to Michigan has been in the works for a while. Uh, there's a lot of momentum there, along with his relationship with Dickinson, mm-hmm. his fit. It's just that's just the flow of things right now and it would be a really good piece for Michigan dad also you have to think if Isaiah Tot does end up playing in Australia or anywhere else you have a four-year player potentially three or four-year player at that spot um so just to we talked at one point about is Michigan building its roster enough for the future or just Mm -hmm. recruiting one and dones basically Mm -hmm. These would be two recruits who really do build out that Definitely. kind of future backbone of your program. Yeah, and it's interesting. The Todd thing is interesting because if you know, put it this way, 
if I'm if I'm the staff, I like the fact that all right, Terrence Williams is cool coming here and being here for multiple years. Even if, like he's committing to the he would be committing hypothetically mm-hmm. to the program, knowing Isaiah Todd's coming, and that's fine, right? But if the Todd thing doesn't work out, and Terrence Williams is suddenly now kind of your primary recruit in that spot, I don't think anyone's like. Oh shit! You know this is just you know what what a disaster this is. You know he's still a top one hundred kid. You know they really yeah. like him and all that stuff. It's not there's not some massive drop off where you're scrambling for like a mid level three star. You know what I mean? That kind of like no, he's perfectly the kid yeah. you want to land in that spot, and he's also not gonna scare Isaiah Todd away. Right? Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. they could play together even. Right? Oh, yeah. It's not that they're exclusive. It's just like a good. It's just a good. Yeah. Roster fit. They I got think, different games. Good I mean, program for, fit. For anyone who hasn't seen Williams, he's more of like a 15 feet and in, right, type of guy. He can shoot he, the three. Well, I mean, I haven't seen too much of that. He's a guy who can play without dribbling. Okay. Isaiah, it's like, he's a guy who can be efficient, score 20 points, and take 11 dribbles, right? Like, mm-hmm. off rebounds, like, rebounds putbacks, cuts to the basket, yeah. and then the occasional three. Right. Um, all off ball movement. Where yeah, he's Todd's not, a guy not putting who ball screens or anything. Is gonna right dribble into a shot a lot more stuff like that. Okay. Um so if we're looking at the 2020-21 roster, okay, um right now there would be one scholarship open. Technically. Technically. Um Austin Davis, a bit of a wild card, he would could potentially be a grad transfer. Um I don't I think a lot of people are kind of projecting that. I don't know if that's like set in stone. Austin Davis is a guy who loves Michigan. He's playing really close. If he wants to go somewhere and play just to be able to play basketball, that's fine. But I don't know if he's necessarily clamoring to get out for minutes. So Yeah, and I don't what know. we know is that under Beeline, a fifth year had not stayed at Michigan for like a decade. But we are now in a new era. We don't know really what to expect yeah. from that. So who knows? But that would potentially be a second open scholarship. Um, then you would have Eli Brooks coming back, David DeJulius coming back. That's kind of your primary backcourt, potentially. Um, you have Isaiah Livers. You have Brandon Johns, Adrian Nunez, Colin Castleton, uh, Cole Bajama, uh, Franz. What? Bajama? Bajama. I, I, dude, I've been messing up his name for two years. I'm going to mess it up for two more years after this. Franz Wagner, uh, Zeb Jackson, uh Isaiah Todd, Hunter Dickinson as the freshman. Um, and then potentially another addition as what would be a walk-on. Um, so anyone following along on Twitter today would have seen Ant Wright throwing, throwing some floaters out there <laughs> of uh, a potential addition to the roster, right? Correct. Wasn't that hard to figure out uh, who this would possibly be. And... Uh, I'd say any rumors about Brandon Wade. Uh, I can tell you from what I've asked around about, while nothing's official, nothing is officially set in stone, uh, yes, that is the name that is there. Um, you've you covered his recruitment because Michigan was kind of involved there for a little bit. Yeah, what would, briefly. What would be your and, – and, um, so let's clarify, first of all, this would be – he would be – on the 2021 roster. He yeah. could be joining school now, yeah, so, but not eligible to play. So he played at Duquesne time. as a freshman last right. year. Left the program at the end of the year. 
he would be joining Michigan's roster now. This season, this entire season would be a sit-out year. Uh, and then he would be a walk-on eligible as a sophomore for 2021. Did not really. I mean, it's hard to really judge him off his freshman year stats, but he's a scoring guard who can potentially factor in. I mean, if you're getting a kid with, basically, if you're building your walk-on program around kids who have mid-major offers, that's a good thing. I I'm not sure what he really does for your long-term roster outlook, uh-huh. but it's a nice piece to add. I would say. Sure. Um, his freshman year numbers at Duquesne. Um, Kind of spotty minutes here and there. He'd get you know 15 minutes one night, three minutes the next, a DNP the next. Um, it's not shocking that he transferred out. You know, if you look at his numbers, it's it kind of adds up. Um, but he ended up with he ended up going with three for 26 on threes, five for 15 on twos. Like I think he just kind of struggled to find his offense. You don't know if that's system. You don't know if that's playing level. Um, I did not watch Duquesne basketball next mm-hmm. year. Hell, they're ten and zero, and I haven't watched them this year. Um, did you see any of? It? Have you seen any tape or anything like this? Do you have? Any I've not watched a lot no, of Wade tape recently, no, but um, we can dig into that at yeah, a later yeah. date. It, it's an interesting. I think you put it right. I think it's an interesting piece. It's not someone I'm not putting his name on uh, the roster and saying he's definitely walking in and taking minutes from this or that. Could he get minutes? Yeah, for sure. Um, but especially coming in as a um, redshirt sophomore, um, you know, I don't know if he's—I don't know if he's taking anyone's job. No, we'll see. I, especially we'll see. when you're potentially going to have a junior and a senior in the backcourt next. Right, year. right, right. I mean, I'll tell you what he's a really good piece for is when guys start moving out and you're bringing in—you know—there's going to be a kind of a changing of the guard here, and you know, you'll have Zeb Jackson. But, you know, who knows what's coming down the line just to have someone in the program that um, will be looking to make a name for himself and compete. um, It's a good problem to have. Yeah. And I guess the final recruiting note is like you ran down the scholarship list. Mm -hmm. The big hole is a playmaking two guard. I know the name. Yeah. Oh, what was the name? So I know where you're going with Joshua Christopher. Yes. The big fish left on the board. one of those situations where if you can do your work now and land Dickinson and Williams going into the new year, it's just kind of all eggs in that basket. And I guess the point would be the other schools he's being recruited by, none of the programs are particularly successful right now. Right. Obviously. Run that down for people. Uh, Arizona State, where his brother plays. Right. Missouri. Got a big win over Illinois today, but okay. Right. Uh, and UCLA, not great. Not great. So he has ties to all those schools and, and whatnot. And, and UCLA's playing style kind of, I feel, I mean, it's he's just, a California kid who has UCLA on his list is how I look at that. He is, and his, he's friends with uh, the O'Neill kid. So he okay. has ties, like it's a sure. local school, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a potentially a huge opportunity sitting in Michigan where you can come in and say, you're going to be the guy with this whole team we've built around you. Right. I assume that's going to be the pitch over the next few months. Uh, that would be a monster class. It would, even with just Dickinson and Williams, it would right. be top five right now. Right. But it would be a elite class. Right. Uh, it would be on par with basically any sort of realistic right. expectations beforehand. Yeah, and there's always I feel like anywhere in this conversation, 
You too, man. Um, Aaron Henry, good dude. Giving the holiday shout out to the moving screen audience. Um, what's it called? You know the I right now in the recruiting, almost anything that happens, my first question is, okay, what's the residual effect with um, Isaiah Todd? Like, you know, so if a Joshua say Joshua Christopher commits, and then it's like. Does this make it more enticing for a guy like him to potentially go with this option, right? Um, yeah. I, the biggest issue with Isaiah Todd is going to be what kind of offer he gets to mm-hmm. play professionally. No doubt. Or that it, Everyone just acts like it's his decision. Someone has to make an offer that makes that decision worth happening, right? That's right. what I think is the biggest key with that, that people, like, it's not just like he has the two hats right. sitting on the table right now. But if you're Michigan, you also want to be able to promote per, or um, present as attractive of a situation as possible so that, all right, look, I mean, if someone gives the, offers the kid $2 million or something like that, well, okay, well, sorry, <laughs> I'm gone. But, you know, if it's, oh, with, for sure. if it's not, you know, a, a knock you on your ass amount of money or something, then... Okay, shit, I go play with this guy and this guy and this guy and play for Juwan Howard, and that sounds good, you know, something like that. Go to London for a night, it'd be a whole show. Hey, not bad yeah. at all. Yeah, right. Uh, that certainly will be the pitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if they don't get Christopher, I just, I would just sit on the scholarship, um, wait until the spring, see who's available, see what gra- see what transfers pop up. Yeah, I don't think there's, any, there's no reason I think to get involved with anyone right now beyond what you've are, the work you've already done. Yeah, and the spring is a whole recruiting period mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, just look at Oregon between yeah. reclassifications, between coaches being fired, all sorts of other nonsense. That's when you really do your work, I would say. Yeah, and what's good, I really think that for Michigan fans to consider also is you know that they've got these guys in the fold, right? And it's not, you know, one commit for next year where you're still spending an inordinate amount of time on 20, right? With all these guys in the fold, they can be spending all this time on 21 and 22 and kind of getting into that recruiting calendar that they're behind on. You really want, right? And it's hard to catch up sometimes, but they've just flown through all that. I don't think you could ask for much more if you're Michigan. Yeah, I think we did a podcast like early. Right. We said how many five stars or something would Juwan Howard land? I think you said I said zero if he lands, or two. If he's zero or two, <laughs> so two top thirty-five right now. Uh-huh. But that's interesting prediction you yeah. made back then. How about that? Every once in a while, you know yeah, a few things, something. maybe, <laughs> or maybe you're just lucky. Uh, probably the latter. Um, let's get into Michigan State here. Um, what time do we are are we on here? Right about thirty minutes. All right. Um, We'll go a little big picture midseason stuff on Michigan State, and then we'll uh, wrap up with some big picture Michigan stuff on the team. So with State, um, you know, it's been such this like the first two months of this year feels like it's taken a year, um, and it's just between you know always opening with the champions is such a big thing, and then Maui and a road trip to Seton Hall and the, the Cassius situation and always just trying to figure out what the team is. Um, they come out of it, I think, about as good, in as good of a place as one could really hope, all things considered. With losing Joshua Langford, 
with Cassius Winston going through something that no one can really comprehend. Um, Rocket Watts goes down. You know, you've got this just gaping, moving hole at the two spot. They haven't really figured out the four. Um, is the record what people want it to be? No. But I'm just saying, with all the circumstances, if you wrote that out in the beginning of the year, I'd been like, uh, is that team going to be over 500 at Christmas? You know what I mean? Yes. it's. I, I'm not trying to spit shine anything. No, 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 but no, no, no. Know. So I feel like it's setting up where January will d- determine how we remember November and December. I'm if January the- goes well, it'll be this is the stretch that we gutted through and it made us. Yeah. If January goes poorly, it'll be that was when we cut our Achilles out and we ruined ourselves, right? Like, right. It, you've set yourself up now. You got by the Seton Hall win. Yeah. Malik Hall hitting all those threes. I could save the whole season. And you'll look back on it. Even if Malik Hall's not whatever he ends up this year, that game, without it, you're looking at Michigan State's resume and the best win is over who? Right? Like, yeah. that is the saving grace of this resume right now. Because uh, the non-conference is basically done. They're not getting a quality win. Uh, that game is the one that just buys you life. Uh, it reminds me of Michigan winning at Texas a couple years back where they just hadn't done anything and you just need that one win and then you're fine, right? You're not going to jump up a couple seed lines cause you're non-conference, but it's not going to just kill you. Right? So now if you win three games in a row, if you beat Michigan, if you go and you start out three and in January, all of a sudden you're back in the top 15, you're winning games no one cares what happened in Maui. I have a prediction. Uh-oh. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the year, but Michigan State will be in first place in the Big Ten at the end of January, going into February. It's a product of the schedule. Um, Which is creepily similar to what happened last year, if I remember right. Uh, and that can be all it takes. Yeah. Just win the games you're supposed to, and all of a sudden you're back where everyone said you'd be. and Because everyone else is going to... Three losses doesn't mean anything in the 30-game season. Right now, it looks bad because what's Michigan State? I see you have Ken Pum up there. What's the strength of schedule? Top 15? It's on the bottom left. Okay, so they've played a tough schedule. Uh, everyone else is going to go in conference play, losing games. I just think that they still have every possibility they want in front of them. Uh, they just haven't boosted themselves up right yeah no doubt i mean i still if you, they go 15 and 5 in the league you're still two or three seed three seed yeah yeah i mean um everyone's losing that's the other thing there's a reason there's been six number one teams in the country but um the fact that michigan state opens with opens league play with three straight home games is uh, considering like that you're someone that really needs momentum needs to get some good stuff going that's pretty clutch um they start with illinois and then michigan and then minnesota worst case scenario is two and one i think um best case scenario is three and oh and you're cooking because everyone else in those that week and a half is probably going to kick the shit out of each other right so um they're already the only team that's two and oh now you get three straight home games the rest of the month is at purdue wisconsin at home at Indiana, at Minnesota, Northwestern at home. It's not that daunting. So um, I do think that they get a chance to kind of find themselves. And uh, yeah, it will, I like the way that you put it, that 
depending on how January goes, it will everything that's happened will suddenly be framed a certain way. It either broke them or you know they. Yeah, because if if you slip up in January, then you're really digging out of a hole, oh, right? Big- so that's the the issue, and that's the issue whenever you have a front loaded schedule like that. Then you have to. That means your back end is going to be harder, so you have La- to make do. Last three games of the year for Michigan State are at Maryland, at Penn State, home against Ohio State. It's tough. That's so, big-time basketball. I have a, a question. or I don't know if this is a hot take or a question. Okay. Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman are a more important duo to Michigan State than Xavier Simpson and John Teske are to Michigan. Disagree. Disagree. I feel like just watching it today here, Xavier Tillman is almost more important to Michigan State's defense than Teske is to Michigan's defense. Right. Um, like, I see what you're saying. I just feel like Michigan potentially has more piece, more impactful Michigan pieces. State has more impactful pieces? No, Michigan does. Oh, so you're agreeing with me. Oh, I'm sorry. I might have missed I said question. the Michigan State duo is more important to Michigan State than the Michigan yeah. duo is to Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I. The depth behind those two pieces on this Michigan State team is worrying to yep. the long-term future of this team, I think. Yeah, I, mean, I think at this point you'd want to see Gabe Brown have taken just like one more step forward, you know, Ideally, in a perfect world, obviously, Rocket Watts would, A, be healthy, and B, have played better, way better uh, in his first month. I mean, Michigan State has not necessarily missed Rocket. No. He's not. I mean, his absence helps the offense, probably hurts the defense a bit. They they miss him because they need him. like The body. You you need the body, right. Um, I'm not sure if he is the starter when he gets back. I'm not sure if you want him to be the starter when he gets back. I don't. I'd let him be kind of a guy coming off the bench. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. I'm all in on Gabe Brown, even though he did not play particularly well. His dance moves were quite impressive on the bench. Very impressive. So I'll give him that. Uh, a lot of Steven Izzo hype going on. Well done. Uh, but I think part of the problem is his potential is obvious, but his consistency is just going to be maddening if he's the guy at mm-hmm. the two all year, right? Uh, yeah, he's the guy who you can see like helping you reach a ceiling. But if you're going out in a road game on a Thursday night, are you really trusting he's going to give you 32 totally. locked in minutes on both sides, hit his shots, right. and you go to the four? It's the same thing. Who I think you can trust that one of those guys from that group will play a good game, mm-hmm. but. I feel like you'd be a lot more comfortable if you have one guy at the four that you could trust is going to give you 25 great minutes, you know? And so much of this goes back to Aaron Henry, where it's like, all right, man, if you can really trust him, and if he's this dude that he's supposed to be, it gives you a lot more leeway in those two spots to play around some erratic spots, you know? If you're just a two-man team and you have no idea what you're getting from Aaron Henry on any given night, it gets re- it'll get real spotty through league play. Yeah, and I guess what is Aaron Henry on a day-to-day basis is really anyone's guess. What What's the best case for what Aaron Henry should be? Like, I don't know if he should be that 13, 
seven and five. Okay. Right now, yeah, that fifty percent shooter from the field, thirty eight percent shooter on threes. Yeah, nothing crazy. Like you don't. Yeah, you'd want him to be a second team all league player, but like right now, for them to just get through this conference season, I so, think that's fine. So you look at Michigan State right now. You say been a disappointment, right? Now, if you compare what Michigan State is right now to what you thought they'd be when they were consensus number one, what's the biggest thing that's gone wrong, you would say? Three-point shooting. Cassius Winston's productivity out of ball screens. So three-point shooting. Team-wide. Just team-wide? Team-wide. I guess, who did you expect to make the threes? Aaron. I expected Gabe to probably be closer to a 40% shooter. Cassius, for sure, his numbers are down across the board, um, and his three-point percentage. He, I mean, he came into this week shooting 33%. That's ridiculous. He's not a 33% shooter. So I would say team-wide shooting. Um, Cassius is basically like his per-possession productivity out of ball screen is down significantly. You can just look at the numbers. Um, I think you would want to see, or I, I would have probably projected, obviously, Aaron, to just have a better year all the way around, especially rebounding. That's been the thing that just kind of has been a real head scratcher all all the way along. If um, you yeah, you just look at him, we were sitting courtside today, and I don't watch Michigan sense. State courts very often, but he should be <laughs> he a guy who just gets every rebound. Yeah, and I guess rebounding's not just physical ability, but mm-hmm. I feel like he was a better rebounder last year, was he not? Uh, not particularly. Okay. He wasn't a great rebounder last year either. But it was always like the potential thing. It was like, man, when this guy's a sophomore, he's going to be dominating the glass, and it hasn't really happened. Um, better the last two nights, no doubt. Um, I forget what he had at Northwestern. Uh, but he had a good a good night on the boards there. He had nine tonight. Um, but he still only had one offensive board. Now, you feel like, you know, this kid just gets criticized for basically everything he does. But, um, you know, I, feel like, I do feel like the offensive glass should be a spot where he's – he gets offense out of, you know, um, you're looking for spots for him to score. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like he should be getting a couple su- second chance buckets. Um, his on spot a nightly basis. on the floor is the G mm-hmm. on the big 10 logo. If he can get to that spot yes. with two dribbles, all, only good things will happen today. He was getting there in the middle of the zone, but even against a man defense, when he can get just one foot, even in the paint mm-hmm. downhill, that's when he's comfortable. When he's kind of more on the perimeter, he's less comfortable. He needs to be, he almost needs to catch the ball like a step inside the three point line so he can get to that spot with one dribble. You don't want him catching the ball flat footed at all. No. You want him catching the ball with one foot in front of the other. That's a key thing to watch. Um, Yeah. What about you? Was there anything that you really kind of thought was going to play out? I was talking in the summer that I was worried about replacing. Well, just three-point shooting mm-hmm. at the two and the four. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a big issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that that... I don't think... Obviously, there's... like I don't think Cassius is pretty playing bad. I think that his shooting is more just a product of the fact that he doesn't have automatic shooters everywhere else. You cannot guard... You could not guard Michigan State last year how teams are guarding Michigan State this year. No way. Right? Like, there was... It was by the time they played Michigan, and like I really watched a lot of like just like 
just thinking about those games because we there was like the three games we covered in like yeah. three weeks, whatever it was. You have to have an obsession with how you would not help off of guys. Basically, like almost how teams are guarding Michigan right now, where Livers is shooting fifty percent from three, Brooks is shooting fifty percent from three. So you would try to do the Louisville game plan where you are able to close out on those guys, but it's really, really hard. There's not a guy who you're like screaming on the bench when before the shot goes up, when the closeout's bad. Sure. Right. There there were plays last year where if that happened, you would look at the other coaching staff and they'd be screaming, just yeah. like <laughs> turning around, going down, like, what the hell? We worked on this all week. I don't know who that guy is on this team. Yeah. Uh I think that they've tried to play more out of the post a little bit with Tillman, which has brought his efficiency down. I don't think that's really his game. His game is defense, catching the ball off ball screens, and he can do all that. Uh, you don't have a pick and pop threat, right? Just like those are big things that this team. I don't really see an answer to all of them, so I think they're going to have to come up with some other answers. Mm -hmm. Like this team's best case scenario is not going to look like what last year's team looked like. Right. But at this point last year, we weren't sure what last year's team was going to look like. So it's it's how they find that thing, right? How sure. they find that adjustment, if they can find that really just equilibrium or balance to the offense. I yeah. Think. I mean, I talked about it um, in that, that three-point story where it's, you know, one four one five ball screen for Michigan State. You have no reason to not throw two bodies with Cassius off of it. Um, you know, f and in terms of Cassius' productivity, both scoring and finding other guys, like, those, all of that adds up. Like, that, all that leads to what the looks that he gets the passes that he's able to make, all those things. And you're right. You know, they're going to have to find some different counters. There's going to have to be some different ideas of getting guys into the position where they can be most productive. And, and they then, did it last year. Like, there's a reason the staff is what the staff is. There's a reason Tom Izzo's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, it, and it wasn't easy, right? Like, mm -hmm. they got to that point. They didn't come into the season doing any of that stuff. Right. I'm curious what you think of this team's defense. Uh, if you look at their Torvik numbers, basically unadjusted, it's the defense that is not top 10. Um, and I makes sense. M Matt McQuaid was probably one of the most, maybe not by Michigan State fans, but one of the most underappreciated defenders. Uh, Kenny was a great defender in a lot of ways, great rebounder, cleaned all that up. Tillman's great, but who else is a great defender on this team? Yeah, like, I mean, well, here's the thing. Like, when you had those guys, you could hide other guys, and there's, you really can't hide anyone right now. Um, that's a problem. And you're playing maybe more than one guy at a time you want to hide. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, like, I I think that they thought that Aaron Henry was going to be better. I hate to do this again. Yeah, you're... <laughs> Um, you live in both camps. You live in the everyone talks shit about Aaron Henry camp. And I think then there's you a live way the, that you can. Uh, I'm going to talk shit about Aaron Henry. There's a way camp. that you can point out that a guy's struggling without ripping him, is, all, is what I've been saying. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm just giving you shit. <laughs> Fair. It says happy wait, holidays a, on the podcast, there, and then <laughs> you throw him under the bus. There's a way. You can rip me. Um, but. Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is on that either, really. Um, other than like... I think there's a better chance Michigan State becomes an awesome offense than an awesome defense. Agree or disagree? 
if I had to pick one of those two things, yeah, yeah like, I would probably go with offense. Because yeah. they have the best offensive player in basketball. It helps. Right. It's Cassius Winston's Cassius Winston. So, you know, I was saying even like when things were really lean earlier, I'm like, look, end of the day, when it comes to big picture this year, I'm still going to bet on Tom Izzo and Cassius Winston, you know? Yeah. But I think those are where I would look at as maybe yeah. areas to address or like what's actually kind of long term mm-hmm. could be an issue for this team. Um Yeah, and, and and really Izzo probably doesn't get asked enough about the defense in fairness. Um that's on people uh like me to probably do better. That but that Duke game, you know I mean you want to talk about the defense being exposed a bit, you give up eighty seven points at home. Um you know, that was the game where it's like when you want to talk about what it takes to win a national championship where you know, they had it put out right in front of them of, of what of how you need to be better um, on defense because would they have been okay winning that game in a shootout if it was 88-87? Yeah, but do you want to give up 87 at home? No, you don't ever. <laughs> and the other team we podcast about gave up, what, 90 at home? What was the Iowa score? That was a big number. That was awful. That whole game was insane. So <laughs> I that's the number I'll be looking at or like in January, like is Michigan State holding teams to 0. 0.92, 0. Yeah. 0.9 points for possession? Right. Because right. then I'll think that they're really figuring it out and buying it in, and mm-hmm. it's hard to figure out what to make of some of these when buy it comes games. To the right? Defensive numbers. I also am like, is there anything that's just a little wonky or thrown off because a Duke game, b Miles Powell, and c Dude from Georgia. Well, yeah, but you know what I that's mean. That's three, of I, I twelve games. But like those dudes were also making guarded shots. You know what I mean? I'm just all like, I'm saying is I agree with your general point about the defense. I'm when it comes to like numbers and stuff like that. Um, dudes didn't make guarded shots against Matt McQuaid last year. <laughs> he, he they didn't. He was incredible. They committed offensive fouls, quote unquote. Carson Edwards almost left the gym last year. Right. Yeah, uh, that was. That made the Michigan State really, really good. So the whole barometer for this year is Final Four. Here. Okay. What are the odds? What odds do you give Michigan State right now of going to the Final Four? Oof. Well, the good thing is that there's probably only one team I'd give single-digit odds to right now, maybe like Gonzaga. Yep. Uh, so... If there's 10? 25 teams that are in the 10 to 20 to 1 range, like who the hell knows, right? right? Like, yep. I, there's not, it's not like you're like, man, Michigan State wouldn't want to draw that team. Who are you actually afraid of if you're Michigan State? You're going to have the best offensive player on the floor, no matter who you play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Only one I, the ones I'd be worried about was Oregon, but I think I might, watching that team live was really damn impressive. But all right. Um, let's flip over. What are we on now? 45 right. minutes? 53 minutes. 53 we'll head minutes. over to Michigan. So Michigan, um, I would certainly say... You do the intro it, for Michigan. It's hard to know how to feel about this Michigan team based on what we saw in the Bahamas yeah. and then what happened after and trying to figure out what's up, what's down from all that is tricky. Uh, you have to look at the fact that Iowa State and North Carolina aren't particularly great. Uh, you have to look at the fact that Michigan played so many tough games in a row, uh, many away from home, and 
loss. Like, I won't tell you Michigan has a bad loss right now, right? Um, I mean, Illinois is trying to, it's best to make that a bad loss, but. They're what? They're 15th on Ken Palm right now? 44th. No, Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that feels about right to me. In uh, to be fair, before the year, I was not particularly convinced that Michigan would be a top 20 team, mm-hmm. like, soundly. And I think Same. they are right now. And that says something. i really curious to see what this team looks like in Big Ten play against the scouting in Big Ten play against teams that have thought about guarding Xavier Simpson for two and a half years how they make adjustments, basically all the things that we think about talking about in February and March on last year's pod. Is that, I was going to ask your biggest concern, is that it, that you're going to face a bunch of defenses that have actually dealt with Xavier Simpson and will have a more concrete idea of what it takes to kind of match up with Michigan? Yeah, like, if Xavier Simpson has the flu, I don't know how Michigan's scoring. If you, like, Michigan just, who's the secondary creator? What's the secondary thing you can go to? Uh, I'm not sure who the person is and how, what that style of play is. Uh, like, is it Eli Brooks? It was Eli Brooks at Illinois. He made a bunch of mid-range shots. I don't know if that's going to get you through the year. Is it David DeJulius? Uh, he made a bunch of shots today, but. Didn't record an assist in a game Michigan won by 40. Uh, is it Isaiah Livers? I don't really think so. Yeah. Is it John Teske in the post? It's almost like that's what they're building to the most. Yep. Uh, so for me, that's the question. And that comes down and that ties in, right? If mm-hmm. you're going to focus so much time on guarding Xavier Simpson, at the same time, it's going to be really hard to because Michigan's shooting the ball so well from three, and that makes you really hard to guard, kind of like we talked about Michigan State last year. That team only had one way to yeah. score. So my biggest question with Michigan, I'm going to be curious to get your take here, is so we've seen how, you know, Tom Izzo is a guy who would play 11 guys in the first half of the year and gradually whittle that down to like seven and eight at the end of the year, and that's what the team looks like. John Beeline was a guy who basically operated within an eight-man, seven-guy, whatever, and that's just the way it was all the way along. There's a lot of rotation roster flux with Michigan, it seems like, kind of from. And now this is a lot of this has been, you know, Franz Wagner coming into the picture after five games or whatever that he missed and you kind of fitting him in. And last week we're talking about Brandon Johns having success at the five against Oregon. Today we see them playing two bigs together. And like, I just wonder how this thing, because we've never seen Juwan Howard do this, right? how this plays out of how long is the rotation expanded? When does it start to trim? Does he, is he a guy who goes some games with a Brandon Johns at the five and then you don't even see it the next game, right? Like it's, it's not even a question really. No, you, yeah. don't know, you don't know the answer either, but like, I'm really curious to see how that kind of plays out. So today he said he leaves games off and where he should have played Cole Badgham more. Yeah. And, barely played Cole so yeah he clearly he wants to be a guy who plays his bench more minutes mm-hmm. right he seems to be pretty clear in that I also think when the chips are down in the second half of the games he's robed with his guys right like Michigan wasn't going deep on the bench against Oregon mm-hmm. uh he almost like we're all talking about putting a starter back in that game but he 
played seven guys, right? Uh, he kind of locked in on basically one lineup there for a while. But I do think you make a point that there's not that one rotation that Michigan's going to go with. I forgot to mention the three guard too. Like that's a thing, you know. What kind of life does that see in the next two and a half months? I do think he changes how he plays it based on matchups more than Beeline ever did. Uh, he barely played the three guard at all at Louisville because they played basically two six six type of guys at mm-hmm. the three and the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think, played big today because well injuries but also because i thought he thought that's how they could win the game right they were dominating inside he just said put two big guys in there we'll get every rebound and it worked i mean if you remember before maybe like in the offseason we talked about well every well like the a michigan will every michigan win look the same way right like yeah like last year like under beeline low turnovers basically the same amount of threes no offensive rebounds rarely get to the free throw line i think we've seen that kind of spiral all over the place of late where like today Michigan won with offensive rebounding, getting the free throw line. Uh, other games they've won with basically all spread pick and roll and three point shooting. Uh, they play big, they play small, they do all these different things. Uh, the overall profile still looks a lot like a beeline team, but it has been a little more variable mm-hmm. and he certainly seems open to this is the team we're playing. This is, I think we're going to beat them. Right. Uh, so I don't know, and it's interesting because I like that's a really interesting way of putting it. Because I feel like then the next natural conversation is okay. Well, which is better? Do you want you know? Do you want to be the team that this is our this is what we do and this is how we win and this is what we rely on and blah 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 blah? Or do you want the team that is flexible and can adjust to circumstances and things like that? Because a lot of the losses last year, right, Michigan was kind of banging its head on the wall doing what it doing what it tried to do and it didn't work and there was really little other options few other options um i think you can make a, first of all the the right answer is you can make a case for both there's no yeah, well the right answer no right is, answer you want to be the right amount of flexible based on the players you have it sure. it's easy to be flexible if you've got that old school coach cal team with two lines of players you can do whatever the hell you want mm-hmm. if you have all these five stars uh you can only be as flexible in college basketball as your talent so you had to be realistic about how flexible you can be, I think. And that might still be a feeling out process for mm-hmm. Juwan. Because in the NBA, you can do that, right? You have a team of pros. Uh, I I think you have to weigh the impact that some of those reserves or different style of play can make based right. on... It's like, I would love to see Michigan play Louisville three more times. You know, and just kind of see... What well, it would do differently. That's and what, what you it would, you know what I mean? Big, that's like, conference yeah, basketball. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see that. Yeah. How they adjust, like how they play Illinois the second time and to what extent, right? And we don't really know that because we have not seen Michigan play a team twice yet. Uh, I, who do you think should be the secondary creator on offense if, say, Xavier Simpson is has two fouls or the other team's cheating off Xavier Simpson? Who do you want to put the ball who do you want to give the ball? Like give the ball to operate off the dribble out of a ball screen? Say Xavier's off the ball this possession. Who's going to run the – who's going to get someone else a shot or themselves? I feel like your silence is telling on this question. No, I mean the, the thing is you can make a case. You can make a case for a couple guys, good and bad. Um I trust Isaiah Livers, um, but 
I think Franz has a higher skill level with the ball in his hand. Mm-hmm. I didn't even mention Franz before. And at the same time, you know, when you look at the Eli and David, um, the the thing with Eli and David is like it's game to game, man. Sometimes it seems like the guy one's locked in and the other is nowhere to be found. And the other game, it's the it's opposite, right? Like I don't know if this is a team where it's there is a lock like lock his name in number two. Yeah. Do you? I, I no, there's not. And it that yeah, I just keep coming back to that question when I think about this team and what it's gonna be in two, three months, right? right. Um And yeah, I come back to just how the level of increased scouting you get to in the Big Ten mm-hmm. and how that will play out. And I'm just really fascinated to watch that. Just because I feel like I know everyone loves March Madness, but like Big Ten conference basketball is like that's my shit. Like I'm Dude, here for I'm here for is- all of it, right? So <laughs> those are the storylines that podcast. I remember. Yeah. So that I like to follow and really I think you really get to know a team and right. how they react to different things and over the course of that whole season. So, cuz like the thing that kind of skews my all right, what is Michigan is they're 11th in the country in effective field goal percentage right now and I'm like is that really what this team is? At what point is it not though? I I totally agree. I totally agree. And it, it does make sense like they have shooters. They they have a bunch of guys who can put the ball in the basket. Yeah. Me, most players next to Xavier Simpson, the first thing you're going to put next to their name on the sky report is shooter. Sure. Like, Eli never shot the ball well, but he still was – that was his game, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's – um. so, it, like, Isaiah Livers does not surprise me. The fact that DeJulius and Brooks are shooting that well, maybe they get in a cold streak, but at, at this point, you're almost a third of the way into the year, right? right? I right. mean – I guess we saw it with Jordan last year where he shot 50% to about now and then went cold. But I also think a lot of that came down to shot selection and whatever else. So I would not necessarily – I don't think it's common for a guy to shoot 50% and mm-hmm. then 20% for three months, right? And your thoughts you, – you gave your thoughts on Michigan State's defense. What do you think about Michigan? I feel like there are chinks in the armor. And you just don't know how big the vulnerability is yet. Uh, that Iowa game was probably a Man, scary that, result. That thing that left a. It really, you got some PTSD from watching that game. <laughs> I mean, you give up that many points at home. You like you say about Michigan State's defense, it's the same thing, right? How good can they really be defensively if you give a forty-four to Luca Garza? Um, and all credit to Luca Garza; he's having a great year. Uh, I trust – I feel like the pieces are there on Michigan's defense to be good. I don't know if how, like, best defense in the Big Ten. I don't think so, right? Like, sure. I don't know. I'm going to give you their January. I want you to give me your base, what, what you think comes out of this, okay? Not best case scenario, not whatever. Just what you, you think is most likely. So, at Michigan State, home against Purdue – at Minnesota, at Iowa, home against Penn State, home against Illinois, at Nebraska.
I was like four and a half wins, five wins. I was gonna like say four, I was gonna say four and three. Sounds right to me. Uh that Michigan State game is just gonna be fascinating coming off of yes. uh like and that game will completely change the winning team's mindset. Uh, That's a good point. Yeah. We've seen it so often. It, compl- it That game changes seasons. Yeah. Uh, you look back at every uh, Michigan-Michigan State game. Right. Changed Michigan State season last year. Mm-hmm. Changed Michigan season two years ago. Mm-hmm. It's just like the momentum that you take from that kind of a thing. Yeah. And to play it, I guess Michigan's, Michigan State plays before that, but for Michigan, they'll have a week off before that. We've all talked about Xavier Simpson's competitiveness, everything else. That it's just, yeah. That sets the table really for the season, I think, for Michigan. That's like their. And what's wild state. is like you know last year they played three times in three weeks or whatever it was, and in all of them, like you knew exactly what the other team was. Both teams knew exactly what the other one was going to do. Like it was, I know because I was there. Like. Those teams were so locked Smooth, in humble brag, on what they were and what they were going to do and what the other team was, you know, like. It was and just so fascinating to see. This game, I don't know if either team knows what the hell is going on. The other team. It's like 100%. Like, it's going to be walking out there, and I have, I'm going to have zero idea what is going to happen. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I'm here for it. I mean, that's. I, and it's so funny because the foundation of each team is the same as last mm-hmm. year, and everything else is just wildly different, yes. right? Yes. It's still Simpson versus Winston, mm-hmm. Pesky versus Tillman, and then everything else just, it's like someone took the box of toys and just threw it in the yep. floor of the president here. Yeah, it's going to be, the big question is going to be like, who's going to be, we're going to talk about this obviously when we have like a three-hour preview episode, I'm sure, but... um you know, the big question will be, who's going to be the guy? Who's the dude who makes a name, you know, that night or something like that? The question is going to be, how do they guard each other's ball screens? Let's no, be serious. I mean. Stick to, stick to, stay focused. <laughs> Save your narrative for post game. No, it's going to be who is outside of those names. Who's going to be the guy that has the game. It's going to be a, always an interesting factor. Um, all right. I think you got anything else? I think we should wrap it up. We gotta wrap it up. Hopefully you cannot hear all these Hoover vacuums all around us, but it should be all right. I hope. I don't know. We're using the fancy mics that you we're got. renowned for sound quality on this podcast, so uh, you should be ex- it should be as expected. It's what we do. It's how we roll. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed the first half of the season. Um, a lot more to go. So thank you, Michigan State, for hosting the moving screen. How about pod. it? And, and basically trying to bust busting your balls to get you up here for a while. Uh, you know, here we are. There it is. So it happened. Um, I'm sure it'll happen again. Um, we wish everyone out there. Most importantly, we wish everyone out there um, a very very happy holiday, um, safe holiday to you and your families. And uh, that'll do it for this week. For Dylan, I'm Brendan. Be sure to tip your bartenders and your servers, especially at the holiday season.